Welcome to the Currently Untitled Film Show, a weekly podcast about movies. I'm your host, Anthony McLaughlin. I'm here with my good friends. To my left, Aaron Whitcroft. Hello. And to my right, Johnny Price. Hi. Each week, we'll pick a film to discuss in depth. This week, we've picked a film called Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Is it not Me, Earl and the Dying Girl? No, it's Me, me and Earl. Me and Earl and yeah. the Dying Girl. No way, is it, is it actually? Ah, yeah. uh, that's class. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about the good points and bad points. We'll talk about different uh, parts of the film, so the characters and structure and all sorts of things. So yeah, ultimately we're trying to figure out what. Well, each week we'll add this film to our list, and we'll try and figure out where it comes in the list. So last week we watched Bird Box, and this week we're going to try and see which one's better, Bird Box or Me, Earl, and Dying Girl. A little sneaking suspicion <laughs> that we already know, but hey ho. So we'll, let's crack on. Okay, so we're going to start off with the synopsis of the film. Uh, Johnny, do you, want to, do you want to try and describe this film? Yeah, so Me and Earl and the Dying Girl is a coming-of-age story about a boy who goes around and keeps himself to himself, but one day his mum goes up to him and says, a friend of mine's daughter is dying of leukaemia, and I want you to befriend uh, and the story follows those two and all of their other friends as they walk through seven or eight months worth of life and how they get through that difficult period and uh, growing up together, basically. It basically focuses on Greg and his um, journey through his final year of high school. And that's kind of where the film takes off. It, that's where it starts, essentially. And it focuses on... It sort of Greg gets put under the microscope, doesn't he? So basically, after that thrilling synopsis, this film isn't like a super, super emotional, downbeat, depressing mm. movie. It's sort of like a dark comedy, almost like some of the coming-of-age films, maybe similar to... Parts of Mean Girls, but also with a you know an edgy kind ofness to it. Maybe not exactly Mean Girls. I can't really think of a film that would be similar to it. Yeah, it's funny actually because it, it sort of it's sort of self-referential a little bit in terms of he start he's one of the things he starts off with at the start of the film is he says, "Oh, at this point in the movie, we'd like fall in love and never had a passionate kiss," but this isn't this isn't like this film, and it's sort of it's kind of interesting how it, it sort of twists it a little bit. I don't really. I can't really think of that many films that do that sort of thing where they twist it. Uh, but I think it's quite nice because it lets the it sort of lets the the viewer know not to. This this isn't about that, so you cannot have to think about this. Oh, are they going to get together or whatever? It's sort of not really about that, and it sort of sets it out straight at the start. I think it also takes a lot of cues from. Have you guys seen Juno? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think um, Ellen Page because she narrates. The way, like her whole way through the film, her character narrates the whole way, uh, narrates the film and the story, and they're quite similar in that aspect, and they're both coming of age films. But it's essentially, like he, yeah, he breaks the fourth wall a lot by telling the viewer, like, oh, it's not gonna end up like this. It's gonna end up like this, and later on, he, he, he like sort of tricks you as well. He uses that to his advantage. He breaks the fourth wall in a way that. I don't think a lot of films or TV programs do, which is quite interesting, um, where he sort of dictates 
the ending. But... So it lures you along a little bit to make you think in a particular way. So you engage with the characters more. Um, and you you're, you're, you soften to them more because you kind of know that things are safe in a way that you can fully commit to each character. I think in film terms, this is called the unreliable narrator. Um, but basically, yeah, that, that's one of the things that when I was watching it, I was thinking, can I trust this person? Like, because at the start you're thinking, okay, I, I, I do get that, that they're not going to get together. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That, that seems to be what's happening. So, he's, you know, you trust what he's saying. But then later on he mentions, oh, don't worry, she doesn't die. And it's just so, it's so, just like, he just throws it out there. He doesn't make a big deal out of it. And you sort of think, oh, right, okay, that's interesting. So you sort of feel like a little bit relaxed. And I, I did, I bought, I bought into it and I thought, oh, right, okay, that's nice. It means you don't have to, I'm not have to worry about her dying. I can just sort of sit back and watch this unfold and, you know, and then, like after like I don't know five ten minutes, and yeah. you realise she mentions later on, like no, not, not 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 how much further on she mentions that she's got stage four cancer. And I'm like, I think pretty sure that's really bad. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, actually, no, I think I think he's just I think maybe he's saying that because the narrator is Greg, and I think Greg, I think Greg is uh, part of his character is that he is a bit of oblivious to what's going on yeah, around yeah, him. Absolutely. And he and he doesn't. He doesn't want to think about these things because he doesn't want to have, uh, he doesn't want to have to go through this this uh, losing a friend. So I think it might be a good. I mean, do we want to just go quickly over any other stories? Yeah, you, yeah we, we should talk about? Talk, we should talk about like the fact that um, it's almost like I don't want to say like there's two like it follows his his journey to applying for college. So that's like one part of the story where you see him like. And Rachel, in fact, like they don't like he doesn't want to apply for college. He's just not up ready for it, and she kind of forces him to apply. And then, do you know, do you remember why he said he doesn't want to apply for college? Because he's a loser. <laughs> he thinks yeah, what he, he says. Yeah, his opinion of himself is like super low. Right, I remember so. him talking about that in the shop, but I can't remember what exactly why he said he didn't want to apply. But yeah, it's, he doesn't want to apply for college. I also love the fact that like that you were tricked by. The, that for just a, like a little moment like like we wanted to say it before but I was like as soon as he said it I was like like the first time I was like come on like definitely come on the film the film title it wouldn't work it wouldn't work surely that's actually quite interesting because you two have both watched this film haven't you in the past yeah so watching it again for the second time what you knew obviously at the narrator yeah, but, yeah. but I mean do you remember when you first watched it did, did you did you not believe him in that point as well no I didn't believe him in the slightest I did I think um because I think it is that that ploy to try and make you soften towards the character. Because when you know a character is safe, you sort of think, "Oh." And wh- when that actually does happen, when the character is taken away from you, um, it makes the impact all the more stronger, and like it makes the emotions sort of rise up in you. I guess it's actually kind of there's a sim- there's a similar thing going on with with Greg actually and us as the viewer, like Greg is pretending to himself that she's fine and she's going to be okay because that means that he can still be friends with her and he can invest time into her and he's not going to go away. And that's the same thing with the viewer as well. We, he's telling us, the narrator's telling us, oh, she's fine, don't worry, she's not going to die. That's not what, what the story, it's not what happens in the story. So we feel, for me anyway, when I watched it, I felt a little bit more at ease and I felt, okay, I don't have to worry about that. Let's just enjoy the characters and let's get to know them a bit more. So I think that's, that's actually kind of an interesting... 
um, like parallel thinking there with the, the narrator and us. Uh, I guess it's whether or not you think he's intentionally misleading you. But the it doesn't bother me if a character's safe or not. Like if a character's not gonna be in. The, maybe it's just I don't know. Maybe it's just like how we f- like we are as viewers or whatever. But like if because her dying in if she died like halfway through the film, I still think that she would have, like, I don't know, I'm just not, I wasn't worried about her voice not being there. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it doesn't bother me when, I'm, when characters aren't safe. Maybe it's just because I watch Game of Thrones. Like, I, think, I, think, <laughs> I think a lot of time, like, no one really goes to the cinema to see a film particularly about somebody who's dying. Um, it's not it's not a particularly fun thing to, to do, but the that safeness that that little moment offers, it just kind of, almost sets you at ease a little bit so you can kind of sit back and enjoy the film and then when at the end of the film she does die it, it hits all the more harder and I guess in a way it's uh, a little peep into Greg's mind how he feels because that's what he says he, he never really thought that she'd die she, you always you always think the best and you always think that someone's going to pull through uh, an illness like that but um, you know as a viewer it just uh, reinforces it, it at the end and that, you know, not everything has a fairy tale ending. I mean, the whole film, it doesn't feel very depressing. It's not a very sombre film, like maybe towards the end, but like the film itself is really upbeat and funny and it has a lot, the, the, the tone of it is really uplifting, I think, mm. throughout the most of the film. It's not a film like where you're sad all the way through or anything. I think, I think that's what's nice about it as well. It, it does... It's it's quite uplifting. It's quite happy. I think throughout the, most of the film, even though it's about a film, uh, it's about a, a girl dying. I think it's that's quite interesting actually. I think uh, besides um, uh, the girl dying in the film, a lot of it is to do with uh, Greg and Earl making films, mm. um, and basically so- what they do is make a film with no budget, really make their own costumes and make their own special effects and do rip-offs of classic films and those little snippets of um, sort of fun and comedy help sort of break up the film and Greg and Earl, when they get to know the girl, uh, Rachel, want to make a film for her to help sort of cheer up or sort of spur her along and that's how uh, the whole sort of film kind of comes to a climax, I guess, uh, in, mm, in a yeah. scene towards the end. Yeah, the the climax is definitely them showing, well, Greg showing Rachel the film. Yeah, I saw it a little bit differently with the film because I feel like he had to be have his arm twisted to make the film. Oh, absolutely. I think he wanted to because I think one of the things about Greg and Earl, but mostly Greg, is it's right at the start of the film, he gives you a little intro to his school life walks around the school and he's showing all these different people that he knows who they are, all different groups, he has them all set up in groups. And he talks to them and he gives them high fives or whatever. But he talks about, during the narration, he talks about how he doesn't want to be involved with any of these people. One of the things I think is interesting is all the movies they make are not their own movies. They are their own movies, but they're based on other movies. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's part of the character is that they pretend to be like other people to, to sort of socialise, but they don't really care that much about 
they don't have much to offer themselves. So when they eventually come to make a film about Rachel, it, they find it incredibly difficult because they've got to come up with, come up with it on their own and it's their mm. own life they're trying to, they're trying to talk mm. about. They found it really difficult to make this film about the real life and about the things that were coming on. I totally didn't notice that, but like now that you said that, I'm like, oh, Flip, yeah, you're so right. Like, it's crazy. Because originally I just thought, no, it was it's off. The whole focus was definitely on Greg, but it was definitely Greg and Earl. I think, like, those two characters, because they keep themselves to themselves, they eat their lunch away from everyone else. Yeah. They don't have their own sort of life impetus to create their own film but when they get in, involved with Rachel it gives them something to actually think about and care about and you know that gives them some of the inspiration to actually start to make the film and it's like when you want to write a song or when you want to do something when you're doing it for the first time it's really really hard uh, just to get that first um, few words or first few chords written out um and i think that's it's almost like a, a writer's block for them because they're yeah. not they basically all they've been doing in the past is like cover songs and now it's time for them to do their own thing i think it's like pretty cool because like when the film gets to the point where like they're asked to make the film like it asks the characters like a lot of questions the, the, the characters start asking themselves a lot of questions about themselves like i think that's when Earl as a character really opens up and just starts talking about like how he's feeling emotionally, how he's how he talks to other characters. He's very like, um, he's very open and honest. Well, he's just real. Like he's like, for me, he's the only real character like that's not in a dream. My my opinion, Earl is probably my favorite character in the film. Hands down, one of the coolest people well, on the planet. <laughs> one of the things I really like about Earl is he could have been. It's so ob- it's so easy for him to be in- made into a really geeky character because he's he's doing geeky stuff. He's doing he's weird geeky. I mean, Greg is a bit geeky and weird anyway. But Earl is like Earl is a product of it. It's, it seems like from what I can understand, it seems like he's a product of his environment. He's a product of his parents. He's he's not like it's it's not as if he's got his mum and dad or his family. Like one way, and he's completely different. He is, you know, you, you see his, was it his brother or his dad. I can't he, you see his brother, brother, yeah. And you can tell, like, okay, they're brothers. You can see his family there. You see where he's growing up and stuff. But he's also into this other stuff. And I, I like how a lot of films would just it'd be like, oh no, he has to be a certain way. Mm. He has to be speak a certain way. Or, and I love how he's just like he's totally not like that. He's not like a really geeky character or nerdy character. He's like. Is a really cool guy, yeah, he is, yeah. but he's also got this kind of interesting hobby. I think if without this, without him, this film would not be anywhere near as good as it is. Oh yeah, yeah, he's like he's like one of the funniest characters in it. Like he makes a lot of the like pretty funny jokes because it's the you know the bit where he's like in there, he's in Greg's house and he's eating whatever that fondue or whatever it is. It looks like I don't even know. It looks like sick. I, it's just disgusting. And he's like, oh, this is disgusting. It tastes like pate. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like what's Ardennes? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and he does that, and then he like, I think he like puts it down, and then he goes out and has like a cigarette, and you have like this weird like, like he's like this really quirky character, but also like he's totally normal. And as it's totally, you're totally right in saying that, like he, you know, when Greg says something mental, like Earl just puts it in perspective, 
all the time. And he's almost like, for me anyway, he was the only character that was like, oh, everything you're saying makes sense. Well, you can tell, like, even though Earl has, he's obviously got some problems of himself, his own, because he's, he also spends a lot of time with Greg away from everyone and doesn't want to connect with people. But you can tell also that he has, I mean, his parents must be a bit more normal and because obviously Greg's parents are a bit weird and wacky. So it affects it's affected Greg. Whereas you can tell Earl, he's dealt with some stuff. You can see you, you don't have to be told that. You can just tell from the way he, he acts around Rachel and how he he, he understands what she's go sort of what she's going through. He understands like it's, she's not having a good time of it. Whereas Greg, is completely oblivious to a lot of the stuff that's going on. So yeah, for me, Earl is like. I mean, he made the drug sequence fifty times better. There's a scene in the film where basically, um, they. Earl swaps something or gives something to some like guy no, called. Doesn't he rob him? Does he steal them off him? Maybe I, not. I, can't remember. I don't know, but he gets these cookies, and the cookies are filled with marijuana. And they, they first of all, they think that it's in the history teacher's soup, but it's actually not. It's the it's the cookies. I love that reveal, by the way. I love because I, I honestly <laughs> thought because I, I, I was thinking that that scene where the, the history, history teacher's drinking soup, they make a deal out of it, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then and then he leaves really quickly. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, oh, maybe he wants them to try the soup, but he just can't tell them to yeah. try the soup or something. And you've got the whole scene with the drug secrets, and yeah. you're thinking, hang on, is the teacher like implicit? How would he do that? But then you, what's good about it is because the teacher's like tattooed up and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He sort of, as a viewer, I, I at least was like, oh, this guy must. It's got to be something dodgy about this guy because why is he all tattooed and you know? So then I was thinking, oh, maybe he's in drugs into drugs. And I loved the little like, oh yeah, of course. He got the got the cookies off the drug dealer, so that makes yeah. complete it's sense. It's like Larry the that, drug guy or something. That yeah. little switcheroo there, I was like, oh yeah, it's just I thought it was really, really nice the way they played with your perception of what was going on. I was just nice to see that actor not in the role of a baddie. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, he's like he's really good he's in really in The Walking Dead. He was he was a baddie and Sh- Sean Shane Shane Sean Shane yeah just like oh Shane. My days just like get yeah. out of here uh, but it's just nice to see him not be playing like a bad guy in a film and also like the hard man because he's like he always is cast as like isn't he in um oh it's not Saving Private Ryan but it's the TV program uh, Band of Brothers yeah he's in Band of Brothers isn't he and then he's also yeah he's in Band of Brothers is he? yeah personal. And he's also in. The, he's also the Punisher, and it's just nice to see him like being a role where he just is like a nice guy almost. And what he... I know him from is um, Fury. Oh yeah, he's in Fury. Yeah, he's right. This is a bit of an off tangent from the characters, but Aaron was talking before the podcast. <laughs> oh, no, I don't. He had an interesting uh, theory. I don't know if you want to try and sum it up. Oh god! Because we we were like, what? And then we rewatched a couple of the scenes and we were like, oh, maybe he got he's onto something. No, but it's not talked about in the. Right, essentially, may, maybe, may, okay, essentially, maybe, I think the history teacher is potentially sleeping with one of the students, right? It's never alluded to in the film, like, or sorry, it's never, it's, maybe it is alluded to, but it's never talked about by any of the characters, or it's never brought up in the narrative, but essentially, like, at the start, when you first meet the history teacher... Um, they're in the history teacher's like little study room where um, Earl and Greg have their lunch. And basically, the history teacher gets up and goes, right, I'm going to go and be in room 309 for the next 20 minutes. Uh, and then he like leaves. And then the, oh, what's her name? 
Megan? Madison. Madison, that's it. Madison comes in, who's like the attractive girl, and says, oh, have you seen um, McCarthy, Mr. McCarthy? And essentially they go, oh, yeah, you know he's in 309. So then he, she disappears. And then every time they're having lunch together and Mr. McCarthy's in the room, you see him leave after a few minutes. And then there was one scene in particular where he, like, gets, like, a box of, like, tissues or something and he, like, throws them in the air and he walks out again. And then there's a scene in the film where... There's a scene where Madison essentially comes into the cafeteria and she's not wearing any makeup. She looks really sad. Um, And then she has, like, a confrontation with Greg. And then later on, she asks Greg to the prom, even though she's not been interested in him whatsoever. I don't know. I feel like it's all in my head. I'm pretty sure it's all in my head. But if anyone watches the film... And here's this. I get. I guess the explanation for that could be that they're, they're just hanging out in his in his office, McCarthy's office. So she comes in looking for McCarthy, and they say, "Oh, he's he's in room three hundred nine." And I read so that, into it. So that might be the explanation, and I might read into it. But is I think it's it's interesting you picked up on that. Uh, I, I think if you watch the film again, maybe you you spot it too. Should we talk about Rachel? Yeah, like. One of the um, one of the main differences between the film and the book is that Rachel um, in the book uh, believes she's got cancer because she slept with a guy who got cancer, and that uh, kind of showed the naivety of the Rachel in the book. We didn't get that story in the film. We we came into the film and our first introduction with Rachel was that she was already ill and she wasn't dealing with any of that sort of guilt or anything like that. She was like surprisingly chirpy for somebody with that kind of uh, illness, but you could also tell that there was an edge there that she wasn't quite 100% with uh, having the illness. And I think having that kind of edge of illness and like joyful kind of personality but on film is something really hard to try and create but it seemed really believable like I I believe I was watching somebody who was going through that in in real life yeah for me after watching Bird Box last week like almost the complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of characters and and dialogue yeah like between Rachel and and Greg it felt really natural it felt really I was proper I was really at ease when they were chatting together even at the start when they were both sort of trying to get to know each other a little bit and he was trying to be funny I thought these are believable characters my only problem with her as a character I think is just I don't think the the writers gave her really enough I feel like I could have I could have heard more from her and, and and had more scenes with her I feel like a lot of the film was people talking about her and making this film for her and I, I feel I feel like it would have been I would have preferred it a little bit more if we we got more of Rachel and we saw more of her. And I think part of it is the idea that uh, McCarthy puts to to uh, Greg towards the end of the film, which is about how when someone dies. So I think McCarthy talked about his dad mm-hmm. dying. That after after they've died, you find out you find out more about them as well. So we do. So maybe that's the reason why we didn't know that much about her is that because the director was trying to make the point of like towards the end, some of the final scenes when he was going in the room and stuff and like looking throughout the room and finding all these little details that he hadn't noticed before. I wonder if that's part of it that we that we're supposed to just see these details and you hear her talking 
the letter he wrote and stuff, uh, letter she wrote to um, the, his college. Maybe that's why we don't hear too much from it towards, you know, from the start of the film and in the middle of the film because it's more of a, we find out more after she's after she's gone. But that that would be my only thing about that character is that I could have done with more of her, to be honest. Um, yeah. The thing is, right, this is like, if you rewatch the film, you notice all these little things which people say about her that um, that when you get the reveal at the end that she's been making this artwork inside the books, right? Like, I'll use an easy example, is when her mum goes, oh, when, when her dad left us, like, she took his books oh. and went to town on them. And then the thing is, like, you're like, oh, right. What she meant was she went to town in an amazing, beautiful, creative way. Yeah, may- maybe she didn't notice that at the time because she's so... I think the mum was very wrapped up in a lot of her own stuff, wasn't she? Yeah. So maybe she hadn't noticed that. But yeah, I like that. that I, I didn't notice that as a, as a character, character moment. So the, yeah. yeah, the film sort of drops these little things in about her. And then if you look at like, you know when they're making the film and they start filming her classmates and they're talking about her and it's just so blasé and so like... I think it's a, it's a commentary on like the people that know her like know her and they don't need to talk about Rachel. They know who Rachel is. And then the people that don't, when they're talking about Rachel, it's just so pointless and just so flippant. And it's like, and just con- you're constantly reminded that it's not a film about her, yeah, but it is a film about her. Mm. Yeah, she, she, it's a film about Greg, isn't it? That's yeah. the main... And Greg is the one we need to talk about because he's the the most... Or do you want to talk about the parents first? Because they're crazy. yeah. Can we talk about some of the other characters a little bit? Yeah, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Greg. I think is going to be a. We're going to have to talk about him quite a bit, but for, so uh, we'll talk about this later on to do with cinematography. But there's a little bit from that I want to talk about to do with the characters. I don't know if you guys noticed, but they um, they used uh, certain colours to for each character. So I noticed that oh, the, the mum was always dressed in like reds and and warm colours, like and, orange. Yeah, it's an orange. And then also that the rooms that so they had a few scenes with the mum again. I think is it is it Connie Britton? I want to say yeah from name? Uh, Friday Night Lights. Um, she's amazing as an actress. She's really good in this film. She's in it for like three scenes, yeah. and I was like, we need more of her because I love that actress. Um, but yeah, the parents. Their parents are interesting. I, I will talk about because we might as well lump the, the three parents in yes. all together. Because yes. I think they're easy. all quite. Big parts of the film, and they all inf- they all informed. They're all, they're all tapped. I think they all informed the the characters of the film, which is great because I think a lot of films they'll just have a character, and then they'll have the parents, and they'll think, oh yeah, this, but they don't really think about how the parent, like, the character growing up with those parents, would affect the character. Whereas mm-hmm. I think they were they were yeah they were quirky and weird, and that made you know Greg was end up being quirky and weird. But they sort of it just matched really well, and it felt like they really fit in that world. And mm. yeah, I don't know if you guys want to. I got like uh, Rachel's mum. Like <laughs> she's, she's kind of like going through like major times of crisis, like split with the husband, uh, and uh, obviously her daughter's like you know on the cusp of life, and she's just like proper just bonkers and like starts like trying to. Uh, flirt with uh, Greg when when he comes round initially, and 
uh, I think she's just like a really fun character to watch and really like the the scenes that that she's in and how awkward it makes like Greg and Earl feel when 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 they're around her. I think she's one of the characters, the same as Earl. She's one of the characters who she knows how bad a state her daughter's in. Mm-hmm. It's felt quite true to yeah. a, a parent who's absolutely distraught and trying to deal with things best she can. It's really interesting because so every scene that she's in, except for the the, the funeral scene at the end, um, she has a wine glass in her hand. Like every single one, and the film doesn't say that she's an alcoholic. It just shows you, and a lot. The film does this a lot with like just either how it's filmed or set designs or colors. Um, and I think it backs up my thing about Mr. McCarthy because it alludes to the fact that she's an alcoholic. It never actually says she's an alcoholic. It just says she's dealing with this thing. But I think I like that it doesn't because it doesn't need to, does it? Like, no. It's not something we need to... We understand what she's going through really horrible times. We don't need to like the film to bonk us over the head and make us feel very sad. Other films might have made it really sad and depressing and and, and, and like... It could have been a really like, oh, I don't want to see this character because it's just like yeah. bring me down. But they they kept they bounced they they towed the line of, it was quite funny, awkward, but also quite sad as well at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and I think that's probably this entire film is is sort of summed up in that they, they're really good at balancing that tone. Yeah, the modest the modest mice thing, and then the fact is that she goes oh modest mice, and then he corrects her by saying oh, it's um a band, and you know, and it's like, it's that. It, it's almost like that link to like this film is so good at like pop culture references. So good with either its cinematography, its music. It's we didn't hear, we haven't really mentioned the, the cinema influence at all. Have we? No, it's unreal. Do you want to talk about like we all, I think we all have points about this, but <laughs> I've got a bombshell that I'm going to just Ooh, drop at the okay. end of it. So you like. Okay. So one of the things I noticed straight away in the film is. When the uh, when we first have Greg meet Rachel, so obviously they have the awkward interaction with the mum, and then he looks up and she he sees her there stood on the on the stairs, where they have a really wide shot at the start because she's like they, they use the camera to sort of show what the what the relationship is with the, with the mm. both characters. So they have this really wide, massively wide shot, and if you actually look at the set, the the, the hallway isn't that big, but they get this really wide lens on. They have this really wide shot, and she's really far away up the stairs. She's on top right, and then it cuts back to him, and he's really far away on the, at the bottom of the stairs, and he's bottom left, and they keep cutting back, and eventually she says, "Okay, fine, you can oh, we'll hang out," and it cuts cuts closer to her, and then cuts closer to him, and now they do that throughout the entire film, and they, they show the different relationships between the characters throughout the entire film, and this is exactly the same way, and, I, and it was really creatively done. They do, yeah, they do it all the way through the film. And I just really loved it how they how they brought that into the into the story. And like basically, because obviously they're talking about films like Vertigo and all these amazing classical films, and then it also takes. I'm like, I need don't quote me on it because it's been a long time since I've seen some of these films, but like, some of the shots are the same. You know when they're oh, talking yeah. about the film, well, not only the music, but. Like, I'm sure some of the, you know, the shots where they're following characters or they set the room up or they're talking about the film. I think it's, like, really um, ballsy for the director to, like, have all these, like, classic films within his film because he's sort of nodding to, like, Werner Herzog and Alfred Hitchcock and several, like, other directors 
But to have that like in the film, and then for him to be like, okay, I need to make my own stamp on this and try and like live up to these greats of like cinema. One of the other things about the last last two things I want to say about the cinematography is like one, like I love that it just stops and allows like the scene, the first argument scene where the camera doesn't do anything at all along with the music and they you just see this dialogue this amazing argument between these two really good young um actors and you as a viewer have only one thing to focus on really and that's them and i think that's just so cool just so so cool johnny did it i'm looking at you johnny um chung hoon chung you won't recognize that name but you will recognize the films that he's done the cinematography for um, one of them is Old Boy and Lady Vengeance and Thirst. Um, so he's basically like a famous Korean for, uh, cinematographer. Yeah, it makes sense. Like I was listening to an interview with uh, some of the actors and they were saying they'd walk onto set and they'd be like, where's the camera? And then they'd like, look up and they'd be like, oh, there it is. And they just seem to just like put it into odd places just yeah. to make different angles and different... I mean, this film could have been shot very plainly. It still would have been a good film. The writing's that good, it would have been a good film. But it sort of just makes it that one step higher by having this sort of interesting cinematography. I mean, every part, like even like, so when they had the the drug sequence, they'd have these really cool POV shots where it's like attached, it's like really close up to the faces. And you just like, you just think this is just, it's just fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're just like, why don't more movies do this sort of thing? It's like, it's obviously very talented in a director of photography. That's probably why. The music as well. It's exactly the same though. Like it lends itself to the narrative of the film. It uses music from the films that it talks yeah, about. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like the majority of its soundtrack. I mean, I, to be fair, I I wasn't paying that close attention to it. But when the music did stand that did stand out to me, I was thinking, this is from other films. This feels like. It uses a lot of classic movie films um, soundtracks, I think. But... There, was, there was a really cool like three chord sequence in some of like the more reflective moments, which was really cool. Like you'd hear a chord and you think, "Is there anything else going to come?" And then like ten seconds later, there'd be another chord and it's like, "Oh my days, this is like a progression. There's some there's something going in somewhere." So so just to give you a bit of a heads up, by the way. Uh, two of your uh, podcasters here are both uh, very much into their music. Uh, Aaron, you did a music tech course, didn't you, at university? Yeah, I did, yeah. And Johnny, you did a music course at university? Mm-hmm. Wait, you and... didn't do tech? Uh, no, just straight music. Oh, I genuinely thought you did tech. <laughs> and they're both in bands and been in bands for years. So I think you guys you guys listen to music with a bit more of a, a, bit more of a um, focus, don't you? Yeah, I mean, like this... This film's got like one of my favorite film scores in there from uh, Vertigo, and it's even at, like my favorite part of the score, like the uh, <clears throat> it's a very longing piece of music with really longing chords, but it's in a really weird part of the film because Nos I think there's uh, Nosferatu is on the TV, and then. It's uh, during the phone call that he arranges to go and see Rachel that is playing the the Vertigo soundtrack. I think the biggest thing, like the soundtrack itself, is quite eclectic and quirky, like the film, um, because it 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 
crashes this orchestral stuff, classical stuff with electronic stuff, and the soundtrack is kind of all over the place. Yeah, I think like part part of the reason I think why there's all these uh, classic movies and like hints to directors and soundtracks and stuff, maybe it is to is the director's choice to sort of you know make sure that his cinematographer makes sure he's trying to live up to that sort of standard, but. I think it's something to do with the characters as well, trying to show off like their uh, knowledge of all these classic films because it gives them that edge above everyone else. Like, oh, I've watched some Werner Herzog films. It's like, that's not something that's easily accessible to to everyone. Not everyone's going to watch like a, a three-hour German subtitled film about a boat. The soundtrack is unbelievable for me. Like, it has probably one of the best explosions in the skies, sky songs um, that exists. It's also featured in one of my favorite TV programs, Friday Night Lights. It's featured in so many films. And I think it's one of those perfect songs for like having this really somber reflection on the whole film or, you know, whatever thing you've done. Like if you, you know, want to go and reflect on life, you should go listen to Explosions in the Sky, particularly this song. Wait, what, what's the song called? Remember Me as a Time of Day. Interesting, because the scene that that's played on, he's he's going through her room, isn't he? Yeah. And he's remembering all, the, he's seeing all these little, little quirky things, all little like drawings she'd done, all little carvings she'd made. Yeah, it's the Rachel reveal. It's like yeah. it's her her um oh she's actually this way interesting character. Yeah. Explosions in the sky song, essentially it changes like it's quite sad and then it gets like really like kind of. There's a bit of momentum to it and it becomes this really beautiful thing. And like the scene itself, again, it starts off and it's really sad. And then it becomes this beautiful moment between Greg and Rachel where he like sees this completely different side to her that he didn't know. And it alludes back to the McCarthy moment. And I just think the the people who are choosing the music chose that song perfectly. Should we talk about Greg? We haven't really talked about him much. I know it's bad that we haven't talked about Greg. I, I think I, I quite liked Greg, but... I think he's a he's kind of for me a little bit hard to talk about because it, there's a lot going on there. He comes across as a douche, right? He comes across as a douche and is is quite self self involved or not self involved. Like the fact that he calls his best friend Earl a, a work colleague when quite clearly like they're best friends, and like the fact that he feels like he like he was forced in their into their relationship with Rachel like during the fight scene when they're arguing all I wanted I just just almost screaming inside being like just tell her that you're friends like it doesn't matter that that's how your relationship started because your mom forced you like you genuinely love this person as a human being and you want to like be their friend and it's like he just he sucks he sucks but in a good way like I guess to me though like he I could see a, like a 16 or 17 year old kid who isn't very developed emotionally wrapped in that way. He's thinking about himself, um, not thinking about her at all and just sort of wrapped up in his own world. And I can see, I could see someone react like that. And maybe he's like a little bit depressed really. Like it just seems like, like one of the, one of the um, like major things of depression is that you are very concerned with yourself rather than, than other people so you sort of um you know you're very concerned with how people perceive you and how 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 you are rather than other people and i think that's how greg is uh throughout most of the film really 
Rachel time and time again literally says like who he is and and how the world sees him even though he doesn't see himself like that like a good person like a like he's not a chipmunk he's he's an interesting person he makes these arty films he has like a good relationship with his parents he has a good friendship you know like she says it like she is the one that's like you know you are actually cool like and it just suck it just sucks that he didn't understand that until she died until she died. Well, I guess I guess the point where he goes to visit her in hospital. Eventually. Oh, that scene. So, essentially, like when um, Rachel's passing, um, Greg shows. So, well, we obviously all you've seen it, but shows the film, and it's just beautiful. And you have this really heavy moment. Did you cry? Like the first time I saw it, I I cried. I think both my wife and I were like upset. That moment was it was a really good, well shot part of the film um i think what i found was interesting was he couldn't he couldn't express his emotions through the film and he tried and tried and tried and he eventually just, i think he i don't think he gave up but he basically just said oh, here you go here's the film and he, it, it doesn't seem like he that was what he wanted to show really he felt like it wasn't finished or whatever but then because there's an interesting shot when obviously he starts having problems and he stands up and he's upset and the projector is projected onto him and his face and his emotions that he's showing, to me, that's that's like part of the film. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. That's like that's him expressing yeah, what yeah, he, totally. what she meant to him. Um, which I thought was a really nice way of doing showing that. Um, so that 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 whole scene worked well. The only thing I thought was a little bit, I said I didn't quite understand that she was dying. That that was something I didn't really get. Like because it didn't seem like. I don't know. I, I expected it to something, something different to happen. Things um, come out of nowhere. Just yeah, like, a bit, like yeah. one minute you're watching a film, next minute yeah, you're like yeah. flipping out nurses everywhere and yeah. doctors all. Yeah, I feel like that might have been like a little bit self indulgent of the director to be like, oh, he's gonna play the film and then she's gonna die. I think that's a little, a little bit. To me, it just felt like okay, that's a little, maybe just a little bit too far. So like you guys like totally missed the start of the film. He literally says. He says it at the start of the film. He says, I showed this film to a girl and it literally killed her. No, but he doesn't show that at the start of the film. That's at the end of the film. Nobody says the line. He says he? The line. Yeah, he says the line at the start oh, of the really? film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> like, I love I love that you guys were like, I'm so surprised. But do, do you think it was like the emotion from the film that sort of pushed her over the edge? Or was she like waiting for, I, yeah, she like, was, potentially waiting, holding out for the she film? She was totally waiting for, for, for Greg. She was totally waiting. He, she was waiting for the film. She asks about it in the fight yeah. scene. To to me, actually, just just on that note, I did really like how that this film wasn't about a relationship. It was about a friendship. So I thought, good. I thought so like good. it was so easy for them to just go down that road of making a romance thing. And I think it was much better that for it that it wasn't. If you want to watch that film, I think The Fault in Our Stars is where you, That's where you need to be at. That's it. And I much prefer this The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, yeah. Is there is there anything, any other notes that people want to talk about before we get to the ratings? Yeah, only just that I thought it was quite nice how they bookended the film. Um, so they had the end of the film and start of the film with the same shot, but in reverse. So the start of the film, it's going into his room from the outside um, and him on his computer and then the end of the film he's at the same shot but in reverse which going back from his room out to the corridor I thought that was a really nice like symmetry in the in the start and the end of the film uh, again it's that cinematography it's just really well done 
So, like, uh, my favorite scene with Earl is the one where he sends Greg the clip of what he wants to say to Rachel. And he just has this, like, really amazing moment where he, like, lifts Rachel up and says, like, These are, this is how you've affected me. This is how you've changed my life. Like, you're this amazing person. And it wasn't about, like, death or anything. It's just about her as a person. And I just thought it was just really cool. Like, Earl is just the coolest dude. He's so funny. And things that we haven't talked about are, like, the stop motion, the claymation, like, just the sheer use of imagination in this film. Like, like we anything we say, like Ant, Ant said before we started recording, Ant said... You know, anything I say isn't going to do this film justice. And, like, I totally echo that. Like, there's nothing, like, you need, like, this film is just, it's very good. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd say what I meant with that is that I think as a podcast, us three are going to be, it's going to take us a while to sort of get our heads around how to describe certain films, how to talk about certain films. And I think this is just, this is it's a bit more of a subtle uh, and there's a lot more stuff going on in the, in the story. So that's, that's sort of what I was talking about. Where this is really good, isn't it? It's a really good film. So we'll 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 sum up the film in our own words, I guess, and yeah, we quick draw up our conclusions. I, I, all I have is a paragraph. Go on, Aaron. You can start off. If you so, want. Um, first line I say is this film is my jam, absolutely my jam. So I just wanted because I loved it. I was like, right, I better go see some negative perspectives, and like some of the comments on like Rotten Tomatoes were like, this film's issue is in the title, me, and I'm like, oh, like. So they've basically watched it and they've seen Greg and they've not liked him and they think it's very self-indulgent and they've not liked the fact that they've not maybe given Rachel the kind of time that she needed. Um, And I totally get that, but that's not what the director was going for at all. Like, you've missed it if you think that that it's self-indulgent. Like, it's about Greg and his relationship with Rachel, his relationship with Earl and, like, how he's dealing with this thing. For me... I think it does a good job of that. Like, it just shows you that no one's perfect. Everyone has flaws. People deal with death in their own way. And this is his way of doing it. And, like, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I thought it was a good film. When I watched it, what do I think? Maybe it wasn't personally, like, the sort of film that I would go to as being like, this is like my top 10 favourite film. Um, it's, I, I, I don't see it as being anywhere in there, but it's a, it's a perfectly good film. I think it had like an interesting story and good character development. And it kind of goes to a place where I don't usually go with films about, you know, sort of illnesses and stuff like that. It's something that I don't really... Yeah, it's not... I wouldn't particularly pick a film off the shelf and think, oh, this is about somebody who's going through a terrible time in their life. Like, it's not something I'd usually go for, but it does it quite well and it's quite funny. So, yeah, I think it's a re- reasonable film, but uh, I won't put it up there with one of my wait, favorites. Wait, 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 wait. You said that Bird Box was good. Well, we'll, we'll get to this later. We'll get I, to it after. I, I prefer to watch Bird Box. Oh, no. <laughs> I prefer I, to watch Bird Box. I, I think that is a, a much easier watch. <laughs> like. No! That's fine. 
We'll talk about it after. Say, we'll talk about it after. Yeah, but it's it's like genres. Do I prefer teen literature films or do I prefer something which is a bit more of a That's thriller true. or like a horror? I probably prefer to watch that over this. I mean, going to a desert this... island and you have to choose one film to watch over and over again. You would choose to watch Bird Box over and over again instead of this. Like at least this film has like I mean, it's got lots of depth in it, and it's got lots of things you can sort of pull out of it, but, like, at least Bird Box, it's, you know, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to survive against an evil force, whereas this is just this guy who's depressed, someone who's dying. There's a couple of funny characters in, in the film, but they're all, like, they're only funny because they're going for turmoil in their own lives. It's just... Heavy, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah I mean, Bird Box is heavy, but at least characters are trying to do something about it. They would break my no. That film is the more I think about Bird Box, the less I like it. So anyway, you 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 need to before we get like real heavy. If I'd watched this film in college, and I was like seventeen or eighteen, I would have loved this film. This would have been right up my street. I think when you're a bit younger, you certain films like Come of Age stories and stuff, they sort of stick with you more. So I remember growing up in college, I watched Garden State, that brass film. Sort of similar vibes to this in terms of like amazing soundtracks and stuff and like quirky characters. This film, I would quite happily watch this again. Definitely quite happily watch it versus watching Bird Box. I think the only problem I have with this film is, I think that generally it's good. I liked it, if it was clever. Cinematography was amazing, obviously. I think for me, for some reason, I, I just, I was, I don't know if it's just me, because I, I know, Aaron, you said you cried at this film. I missed the emotional connection with the film, I think. So what I was talking about before, when I, I could have done with more of Rachel, I didn't really feel that connected with Greg. And when, towards the end of the film, they had the really emotional scenes, they were intense, uh, and it was it was sad. But for some reason, I just, it just didn't connect with me. I don't know what it was. And maybe it was just, I need to watch it again. Or maybe it's the mindset I was in at the time when I was watching it. But for some reason, it just didn't have that emotional punch. I think I might have, I might have got a bit more, more teary-eyed than, than this. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Although this is obviously a much better film in terms of its like way it's made. It's, it, so yeah, I mean, basically my conclusion is, it was a good film. And I liked it. I'd watch it again because it's quite. It's got a lot going on, so I'd happily watch it again. Um, but I don't think it's like it's not like an amazing film. So like me. two things, two things, right? Um, and people, when you listen to the podcast, like you'll understand this. Like when I say something's amazing, I mean that I like it. Like, you know, for example, Fast and Furious. No, that's a great film. Um, <laughs> Uh, I can't. I'm trying to think of like. I'm trying to think of like something that's just okay. The Room, right? The Room is a terrible film, but like I love it. And and so like just because I love something doesn't mean that like it's an amazing film. It's just like I'm super into it. Secondly, yeah, I never really used to cry at films, never. And then I feel like I got married and something's unlocked in me, and I cry all the time. Like for example, there was a funny TV program. I'm not going to mention what it is because. You know, uh, it was a funny TV program and it has this amazing ending, and I cried in that. So, what was it? Uh, we can't talk about it because some of us haven't seen it yet. So, yeah, I think, yeah, for me, that that was probably the downside of it, I guess. I just didn't have that emotional connection. I don't know why. I, I do normally get, I can get quite, I mean, my wife would say, you never cry at anything. So, 
But I do get quite involved emotionally about that sort of stuff. And, it, you know, it was, I don't know what it was. Maybe maybe it's just, maybe it's partly that we're doing this podcast and we're having to think about a lot of detail. So maybe it's sort of like part of that is I'm not, I'm sort of always thinking about the film and how it's a film and not, not, not just getting involved in the characters. I guess that's one of the things we'll find out as we go on um, and to see if it's affected me in that way. But I mean, that that's just how I felt. It did, just... did, did you, did you, did you watch it on your phone again? No, it's still on TV. Oh, thank gosh. We're, uh, again, if, like the no people that listen to this, we're going to break Ant's habit of watching films on his, on his phone. Mate, mate, I have to, because otherwise yeah, I, I never get to watch anything. Yeah, I you like... I've turned that HD projector. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, I've set it up the other day and I haven't even watched anything on it since. <laughs> it's really annoying. I really want to, I really want to watch them, but it's just not, it's not happening. To be honest, actually, if I watched it on my tablet, on my own, in one sitting, where, because when I watched this, I was... Eating. I was like eating some tea and I was sorting Annabelle out and I was and I was like chatting to Mel a little bit as well and watching it. I think sometimes when I get into the zone and watching something and it's just like just watching it for the full length mm. and not like I've been at the cinema when you're just like you're stuck there watching it. That does probably play a bit of a, a, a part of it. Yeah. But I think probably more likely was just keeping notes and like yeah. keeping track of the film. If if it, in a perfect world you'd be able to watch it once without making any notes yeah. and then watching it again and making notes, but like we all have lives. Like so another film obviously. like some sort of this kind of like Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I watched that, oh. and I absolutely love that film, and it proper gets me emotionally. But I think like this film, it has all it has everything going right for it. it has everything I would normally love about a film, and for some reason it just it just I don't know it just didn't hit the mark. So yeah. I don't think it has that, like, when you try and explain the story of it, there isn't really much story. It's all just character development mm-hmm. throughout the yeah, whole time. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're Whereas right. Whereas other films that I really like, there's a story like somebody, you know, doing a bank heist or, like, somebody escaping from prison or, like, you know, someone taking a ring to a volcano or something. <laughs> Like, you know, there's plenty of story, there's plenty of plots, yeah, there's, there's, there's like lots of this, action scenes yeah. and stuff. Like, this kind of feels like you're watching advert after advert after advert of, like, nicely choreographed scenes, which, you know, isn't bad, but it just... in the, it's, in not, the, it's, it's not what you're looking for. Yeah, anything. it's not, like, personally what I'm after. I'm not saying that it's a bad film, and I definitely think that a lot of people would really enjoy it, but it's just not okay. not my kind of... My thing. I mean, this is the second time I've watched it. I've not. It's not like I've I was not looking forward to watching it for a second time. Uh, but um, yeah, it's just not my uh, kind of uh, film I'd go to. Shall we uh, try and rank it against yeah. the uh, other films on the just list? Before, like, I mean, I mean, I can tell you this afterwards. But like, Secret Life, right? I really like that film, but I've watched it again, and it isn't. I I didn't. I wouldn't say it's like a particularly great film, but I love I love it. It's that it's it's exactly the same as this film, probably. No, it's exactly I, the same. I agree. Like I can think about that film, Secret Life of Walt Me, and I can probably I can think, yeah, this is what they're trying to do. Maybe they're trying too hard, and and I can understand it from that point of view. But just when I watched it at the cinema, I just got good, I just got into it. It just took me places, and it was just amazing. Yeah, we were we were all super into it. I think the only person was one of our friends who was just like, that was rubbish." But yeah, let's rate it. <laughs> so at this point in the podcast, we're gonna put it. We're gonna try and rate it against all the other films on our wall. Unfortunately, the only other film on the wall at the moment is Bird Box we did last week. And that's currently at number one. Number one. And, no, not and, for much and, longer. And, uh, Why is that? 
Because you're about to be outvoted. What? Is it a voting system we're doing? Has to be a voting system. system. <laughs> has to be a voting system. This no, just go with what I say. Just keep it at number one. perfect number. Keep it at number one. Hey, I'm... Desert Island. Bird box. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I realise I'm the Rolex, but... Um, I don't think I could deal with those characters again. Maybe I could just rewatch the, the couple of scenes that I liked in it. Uh, no, for me, totally, this film is way better than Bird Box in every way. Yeah. I think. I mean, I can't even think of a what. There was, I don't think there's anything I liked in that. I liked Bird Box more than I liked in this. This film is better than every single way, in my opinion. I know how much you love Bird Box. <laughs> I yeah. I I I I prefer to watch Bird Box again over over this. I think it's just like. It is nice to see a film that's got so much detail and whoever did like the, the scene setting was really good. You could pause every frame of that film and find something in it, but just for sort of story, kind of it goes to one place and you kinda of know where it's going, whereas bird box is I don't know. You're on of, edge. Yeah, kind of was more interesting to me. I respect the research. I get it now. Yeah, I mean second place, you know, second it's not place so bad, is it? it's not bad. And maybe it'll maybe it'll be uh, it'll stay up in second place for a while, but I need to get someone else in to vote me up. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, we need to. Well, yeah, I know, but there'll be times like, for example, there'll be a film that say me and Aunt vote down, and you're like, you will probably be like, whoa, 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 no, well, we yeah, need to talk not, about this. I don't think it's necessarily going to be two versus one. That's just that's a similar story. It's if you're all like. If you like make the passionate argument and tell and, and can explain exactly why this is better than me and Dan girl, then I could go with you. Yeah, yeah. But I totally. just don't think you can do that. I don't think I think you know that as well. <laughs> so so when we get to a film that we that you can argue for, um, it it, it might be that both of two two of us don't like it and one of us and you like it more. But you, if you're passionate enough about it, I think it, I think we can be swayed, can't we? So. Yeah, that's next. Is that is that is that a wrap? Yeah, I guess we can look forward to the next. Uh... Do you know who did the, right? Wait, actually, like go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Do you know? Do you know who did the soundtrack for Bird Box? Hey. Oh no! I know. Yeah, it's uh, Trent Reznor. What? Yeah. The soundtrack was so passable. I know it was rubbish. It was, it was rubbish, so it? I was like, I didn't even think about looking into it, and then it happened, and I was like, I saw the. No, I, I saw those credits, and I saw him, and I was, I thought, oh, that's weird that he he, he was a quite. A, a well-known guy because I didn't really think anything about the music it was so just like yeah just didn't really do anything for me oh Trent Are you Oh yeah, I just went to the toilet. Oh, are no, you okay now though? Uh, oh yeah, I just yeah, it was just a wee. <laughs> Please keep that in. <laughs>